0: This is The Salvationist Podcast. I'm Kristen Austinson. How did you end up at The Salvation Army? You can ask any Salvationist that question, and you're always going to get an interesting answer. Mary Carmen Rodales is no exception. She's a soldier at Montreal Citadel, where she's involved with multiple ministries, and she's the executive director at La Brie Soie, the Salvation Army shelter for women and families in Montreal. In everything she does, her passion for ministry, for giving hope, for living the gospel is clear. So how did Mary Carmen connect with the Army? Like so many of us, first through music, and then through the mission. Mary Carmen. Thank you for being with us today on The Salvacious Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. So to start us off, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your background?
1: Well, I am originally from Honduras. Uh, for those who don't know where that is, that is two countries south of Mexico. <laughs> um, and it's it's a very poor country, uh, one of the poorest in Latin America. And so I was born into a middle-class family. But I had parents who were really involved in, in, in helping in the community as leaders, as volunteers in various areas. So I grew up giving a lot to my community. I studied French at the Alliance Francaise in high school. So when it came time to go to university, somebody told me about Montreal and about McGill. And there I was yeah. at 18 at McGill University in Montreal. I loved it. It was really great years that I spent here. Um, and, um, and then I left. Because I had to, my you know, my program, my my bachelor's finished, and um, and I went home. I did, I did, I did because I studied um communications and Latin American studies. So I was working when I get back in community uh, work. I was working with street children, then within the area of human rights, children's rights. I worked for the United Nations peacekeeping missions, and yeah, and from there I decided to go for a master's degree, and I got a scholarship to go to Syracuse for international relations and public administration Hmm. and after that I'm like what do I do so I thought well I'm not apart from Canada again in Syracuse (laughs) so I I applied for immigrant status and I got it I thought I was going to be here only for a few years but I met my husband had kids and here I am 27 years later still in Montreal still in Canada
0: (laughs) I'm loving it yeah wonderful yeah that's great um, can you tell me a little bit about how you became a Christian, a little bit about your faith journey?
1: I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Uh, my family was nominally Catholic, as were most people that I knew in Honduras growing up. But I had my mother's sister. She was a loving faith warrior who was always witnessing <laughs> to me for, since, for years and years since I was in high school, um, you know, a teenager. And unfortunately, I gave one step forward, two steps back. I got close to my faith. I never made a real commitment mm-hmm. until I had children. When I had children, it became very real to me that I couldn't, that I needed to make a decision that spirituality had to be an important part of my life and a, an anchor for me and my children in Canada, and that we need, I needed to sort of really search for God and commit, commit to that. And so that became mm-hmm. the time when I said, this is mm-hmm. it. <laughs> yeah.
0: And can you tell me a bit about how you ended up at the Salvation Army?
1: Uh, Well, I'm one of those people who'd never heard about the Salvation Army. I knew they did good work, but I didn't, I I know the thrift stores, but I didn't know it was a church, right? One of those. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But when my kids were in school and grade school, there's a law in Quebec that forces you to put your kids in French school. And that kind of frustrated me at the school. There was a lot of, I found experiences of immorality, just things that I thought were just, I wasn't comfortable with. And that made me want to homeschool. So I homeschooled for 3 years. My I have 3 children, so my two eldest girls, I did grade 1, 2 and 3, grade 4, 5 and 6. So I did the whole elementary school in 3 years. And but my husband wasn't very much on board, so he said no. He wanted them to go back to the school system. So when I put my eldest back, she went into high school and there was no music program and she had become very taken by the trumpet. So it was music that drew me to the Salvation <laughs> Army. I was looking for uh, someone to teach her trumpet and I just up upon this family hmm. in my neighborhood, just like that, who, who told me that they were, the kids were getting trumpet, t- uh, you know, going to the Salvation Army Church and that they were having the lessons there. And so I called, I was accepted very generously because I wasn't a member of the church. And when I went, because of my background in, in, in the helping areas and that the mission, the motto that, you know, the commitment to um, sharing the gospel and responding to human needs, you know, what is heart to heart to God and hand to man was just whew, exactly me. <laughs> so I just became very, very, I was in, I was hooked. <laughs> yeah. I became very committed in the church and I, and I, I really found a home for myself, a home a great home church for me and my children at the Montreal Citadel. Yeah,
0: That's amazing. Yeah. I think a lot of people come in that way, you yeah. know, through the music. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. Um, and so how long have you been at Montreal Citadel then?
1: Oh, um, I think it's twelve years. Around wow. that, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um,
0: can you tell me a little bit how you've been involved in ministry uh, since you started attending the army, and maybe some of your more meaningful experiences doing that? I'm the type of person who does a lot of I, I get involved very quickly.
1: So I started getting involved in uh, in leadership and uh, on the leadership team. I was also involved in hospitality in it and then running it. And then I was in translation because our congregation is almost at this point, probably more than 50% Hispanic. So then I I organized the translation so that they have a better access to Mm. the service. And, um, and then and for the last several years, I've been running, I've been responsible for the youth ministry, Sunday school, uh, youth group, that kind of thing. So uh, yeah. And in the program committee to sort of be involved, but essentially I just do a little bit of whatever's needed. When it's needed. One of the things that I really enjoyed that I had the privilege to be one of the five salvationists from Canada that participated in the Rio 2016 International Sports Mission mm-hmm. uh, that joined the Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Mm-hmm. So it was only five of us, it was people from the US, from Europe, uh, from Australia. And we were there for a week, 88 of us. And we were assigned to a core and it was just exciting to be able to be there at that time, meeting, you know, meeting people, developing relationships and trying to sort of disciple people, you know. So it was really exciting. We were allowed, we worked with some homeless people at in, around the core, some sex workers that were coming for some support at the core. And we ran a couple of program sports activities just to bring kids from the community. It was not a very, it was, you know, a low-income communities to sort of give them that opportunity and also talk, you know, talk to them about the Lord. So it was, it was a great time. It was wonderful to be able to be part of that mission.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure. Is there anything from that mission that kind of stands out for you in particular?
1: Well, it's always that sense of the army, that commonality, that common thread, whether you're from Norway, from Brazil, we're all kind of facing similar, similar challenges, people who need the Lord, people who have, great needs and just how it presents itself differently, but we're all in that fight together. I think working with the sex workers was very interesting because we tend to be, make assumptions and have certain biases and prejudices and just seeing how they, they, they just, they just want to be accepted and, and just have a space to, you know, you know, they need, they need help too. Like, it's just that, that that part of being able to be open to, different situations and doing it without judgment as I thought how important it was and how meaningful it was for, for those sex workers.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you've been working for the Salvation Army um, professionally for about five years now. Five years. Um, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. And how did you get into that? How did you start working for the Army?
1: I think that's just divine intervention. <laughs> in yeah. Way. Because I, well, I had been at home with my kids for 10 years and I started going to the army. And shortly after, I was looking for work because I'd been out of the workforce for a while. And it was through someone at the church, Colonel Glenn Shepherd. Somehow I ended up working at the organization that he worked with, which is a Christian international organ- um, nonprofit that works in the health sector. And so as I worked with him and became, became familiar with the army, I really wanted to serve in the army, even though it was local, it's not international. I thought, you know what, there's a lot that I can contribute. So an opportunity came up as they did some restructuring at the Booth Centre in Montreal. And I became the executive director of programs. And I really found that a lot of my skills were quite transferable, even though it was a bit of a steep hill to understand sort of the homeless sector and some of the issues and working more with local government. And it's not the same as working internationally, but, it, you know, i was very excited to do that and to sort of contribute. And then at Labri, the director here had to be on leave for a while. So they asked me to come and replace, but then she did not come back. So then it became a permanent position for me to be the executive director of des d'Espoir, which is the women's shelter.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yes, I was going to say, can you tell us a little bit about des
1: d'Espoir? Well, des d'Espoir is actually one of the largest shelters in Montreal and the only shelter, uh, women's shelter, that's run by the Salvation Army in Quebec. Um, We have 50 beds for women um, and 12 beds for children. And it's for vulnerable women, uh, with or without children, um, who need just immediate support and help to sort of reintegrate society. Um, They can stay anywhere between one night to two years, depending on the program. So we have an emergency shelter program that's 15 double rooms so a capacity of 30 women um, that can stay up to three months and then we have a family program and that's for seven mothers and up to 12 children and they can stay a variety, depending on their needs they can stay up to two years and then we have a third floor which is the uh, transitional housing program that's for 13 women that can stay up to two years so it's really a variety of services mm-hmm. we have a variety of clientele we're not focused on any single one. So it could be conjugal violence. It could be uh, mental health. It could be just in lack of employment. It could be a lot of immigration issues lately. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then we just, uh, you know, adjust to what their needs are and help them and support them to sort of uh, move forward as a, at their rate and at their pace and however they they, they feel capable of doing.
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and as executive director, what would you say your vision is for Libre d'Espoir? And what are your hopes for the women who come here? Well, it's going to sound strange, but
1: I'm very committed to the women and to to really make sure that what we do here, we do it with, with care, sincere care, with offering them dignity and allowing them to, giving them the safe space and the support to be to transform to make changes in their lives even if it's a small one i'd like to know that every person that came or has been connected to la bidespa any anyway, woman saw an opportunity to make a positive change and has made a positive change even if it's a small one some many of them come back mm-hmm. but that we always support them in that way but i also want it to be a great place for the staff to work as you all know staffing has become a mm-hmm. real challenge across the territory and i think that retention i think that making sure that people feel that this is a good working environment is really important, that we treat our staff with the same care and dignity that we do our residents. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's very important. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you think of a recent example that really demonstrates the impact that the Army is making at de d'Espoir?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is what we live for. I, I think I, since I've been here, I've had several women come up to me and tell me their story of how a, a woman who was a victim of conjugal violence when she came from Iran and she was just destroyed. She was unable to pick up the phone and, and make calls for herself. And after a year and a half, she got a driver's license. She was able to get a job. She got an apartment. To us, it made us almost cry to see how wonderful that was. That was some, a young person. And we saw an older woman who was from Germany, a psychologist by training, who again had sort of come come upon some bad times and could have could never have imagined going to a shelter. It was like unimaginable to her. But her social worker said, no, go. You're better off there than on your friend's couch because they're going to support you and help you. She again was like, I wish I could tell the world that if you have an issue, come to a shelter because you'll get the support. You'll never get the support if you just stay in your corner. Yeah, You know, you need to be able to guide it, be pointed to the right resources. So knowing that the eye-opening experience for them and to say, There is help. I don't have to go through this alone. I think it's just extremely meaningful and just rewarding.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can see that for sure. Um, And of course, at the Inspire Conference last year, you were one of the recipients of a uh, COVID-19 Excellence Award. Um, How did that feel for you to be recognized in that way? I was surprised. I didn't expect <laughs> yeah. it. We we're like, what? <laughs> but it's funny
1: because the that period was so intense, and everybody who works in social service understands it. It was intense. We were just going a day by day. In our case, I was at the Booth Center. Time at the time, we had an outbreak, and public health just landed and required that we make major changes lots of protocols and systems that we just didn't know. It was just new to us. But we adjusted, we adapted, we did what we had to do because we really wanted to protect those close to 200 men that were there. Some of them with significant mental health issues that we said, they're very vulnerable. We have to make sure that we protect them. And so we did it. It just We just did what we had to do. It was, you know, long hours. It was doing things that we're not used to doing, serving meals at the door. It was just complete, uh, it was very intense. And, uh, but public health recognized this as well for all that we did in that very short, because was the beginning of COVID that we had that outbreak and we were able to keep up those systems so that we didn't have another outbreak until maybe I think recently, but I think, so it was it was good and it was, I think not just for me, but across the territory to all the people that were recognized at the Inspire Conference, I think it was a time to sort of look back because a lot of us haven't even had time to look back. We just keep going. Right. So to say, you know what? That was amazing. Whether it was in Newfoundland or if it was in BC or in Quebec, we all made an important contribution. We all committed to um, being there for the people that we serve and going the extra mile for them. And that was a time where we really had to step up and do it. Um, our families were scared sometimes, you know, we weren't the ones that were still coming in and being exposed, not being able to work yeah. from home. And we were, I think at the end, we were all glad to do it. We were all satisfied with what we were able to do. To keep people safe, so it's really worthwhile. I think I think it's important that that we we're, we're seen. You know, sometimes we think we're not really seen. It's just we just do 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 do. But you know, it's nice when the army says, you know what, we see you, and we value you and what you've done and your team. Because yeah. I mean, clearly, it's not just me; it's it's a team effort. And so that was that was that felt good.
0: Absolutely, no. I mean, our our frontline folks did an absolutely phenomenal job. I mean, you do a phenomenal job every day. But especially during the pandemic, like it was just such a challenging time for everyone. And as you said, you couldn't work from home, so thank you, thank you to you and everybody on your team for for just doing that. Um, yeah, but it, just thinking back on the pandemic, what were some of the lessons that you took away from that? Um, and and how do you see Le Brie d'espoir sort of moving forward and uh, doing even better uh, because of? maybe what you learned during the pandemic?
1: Well, I think that one of the things is that staffing is so important. Uh, Oddly enough, what I learned is that our staff are just as vulnerable as the residents. Um, We realized that we were asking a lot of of each other, of everyone, and that we needed to take care of each other, too. Um, everybody lives these experiences very differently. Everybody had to go home to certain situations whether they had vulnerable elderly parents or people in their lives. And I think that that team uh, work that we were asked what we were doing, we really had to sort of also sort of see how are you guys doing um how How are you feeling? Do you need a break Can You know, because uh, and of course, this is magnified if you look at the at the at the public health system. But even within the shelter system, I think that um, I think that we have to really always look at our own people and take care of them so that they can take care of others properly. Uh, Oddly, that was a lesson for me. Um, And also that um, enforcing protocols is not always easy. I think you have to. It takes a while. It's it's a lot of discipline required to sort of be very strict about certain things. Um, And. um, and the, and, the, and the comfort levels of each individual. We lived it all very differently. And I think we had to be respectful of all of that and within our team and even with the people that we served. So I think that was a big lesson for me to sort of be sensitive to people's uh, experience with in a crisis situation and to support and take care of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And at your home core in a similar way, how do you see the core sort of emerging from that time?
1: Hmm. I think what we're finding is a lot of, in Citadel, we get a lot of people coming through family services. Um, So a lot of immigrant families, a lot. So that the adaptation that's required is that immigrant families have different needs. They still don't understand the system. They still don't understand, they don't speak the language. So it requires for us to sort of try to Find people who can speak various languages, that we can adapt, that we can um be inclusive despite that. I think we're still trying to do a little bit more outreach to be more available in the community and continuing to offer online services. I think that's been good because some people you have the shut-ins, you have different people who who can continue to benefit from being a part of the of the of the church without necessarily always physically being there if they cannot. I think that's been a positive coming out of. Out of uh, out of COVID, out of the pandemic, but yeah, change, new new people, different people, yeah, and a church that needs to sort of be the church that it needs to be for those people,
0: mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. And thinking about you know starting fresh, doing new things, I'm wondering what inspires you about the Salvation Army right now. Um, where do you see opportunities for growth and new life?
1: Well, I'm really excited with, in the last two, three years, maybe five, I can't really say say exactly, just how there's been positive changes. I think there's been a commitment to new technology, innovation, um, um, renewal. I find a lot of opportunities for professional development for staff, online training, um, you know, new systems, um, which whether for us as work tools, like whether it's for HR or or what have you and i said uh, client management that kind of thing that's coming i think those are all tools that are we're excited about as we work because we want to be more efficient we know that we can um we can do more and the fact that there's that opportunity that that encouragement to try new things you know i think that i feel in the air there's that sense of try new things get out there be innovative develop new partnerships, do things in new ways, you know. We're trying to be a more, although it's a large organization, it's a big ship to move, but encouraging that its various pieces take on new projects. So I do think that there's possibilities, the more, especially in my case, I see it that the more we start partnerships, that we work with others, the more that we see um, creative opportunities to do things better and to bring more resources to the women that we
0: serve. Yeah, and of course that's part of the a new vision, right? Being an innovative partner. yeah. Um, And uh, speaking of innovation, I know that Libri Despoir is uh, going to be starting up a new innovation grant program quite soon. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, well, we did one last year, which was focused on um, conjugal violence. And the idea was that we wanted to take the issue or the work run with the banner of conjugal violence in Quebec to make it known throughout the ministry units with men, women, um, community family services, um, and that was done and this year the focus has been more on it will be on on raising awareness among youth uh these are teens and preteens and um and the and the adults in their lives to prevent or to discuss to have conversations and dialogue around uh sexual exploitation and violence against uh, uh young people We're probably not going to do it in a direct way. It'll be more what are healthy relationships, you know, what could be red flags about something that is becoming a little bit um, risky or um, unhealthy and that young people can recognize it themselves and in their friends what's going on. And parents can also and coaches and teachers can also be part of that uh, network to support young people and to sort of protect them from from, from that, you know, from the danger that's out there. So that's going to be interesting. I mean, we just hired the new person. It's going to be really take us to working around Montreal. And I really feel that Le des and the Salvation Army could always use some more visibility in Quebec. Our footprint is, is a bit small. So at these events, I think it's ways for us to be out there in the community and more visible to people as to what does the army do. And so this aspect, modern modern slavery and human trafficking, conjugal violence in Quebec, and how we're, you know, taking action against it. I think it's a really positive thing, just in general, because it needs to be done. But important because it gives some, um, it gives some visibility to the army's work mm-hmm. in Quebec.
0: Yeah, we're obviously more than just a thrift store, right? Yes. Now. So hooked,
1: my kids just they they, <laughs> they think I'm crazy because everywhere I go, I'm like, we got to go see what the army's doing here. So I'm in Cuba. Let's go to the army. Okay, I'm in New York City. I'm in Los Angeles. I'm in Amsterdam. <laughs> they're like, in Ghana. <laughs> I went to a service and they're like, mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's just amazing. It's amazing to see what the army and, and how there's, when you go to a corps, you see the similarities. You see the many times, not often, not always, but you see the worship team, you see the, the brass band and you see the timbrel and you go, oh, I'm home, you know, even where you're in a completely different environment and you see that we all are united by that common thread of of wanting, you know, to to be the hands and feet of Jesus and also be, you know, um sharing his love, spreading his love and spreading the gospel. So it's uh it's a whole package.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And of course you became a soldier quite recently actually yes. just a year ago. Uh can you tell me a little bit about why you decided to take that step?
1: Yeah, that's a little bit Difficult because my husband, unfortunately, when I became a believer, I was already a parent. He didn't. He didn't make that choice with me. He's a French Canadian. French Canadian relationship with faith has been very special and challenging. So, so I've been on this journey of faith on my own with my kids, and I became an adherent after two years because I was very committed to the army. But I felt that I wasn't able to honor the. Um, the covenant and 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 the requirement is to not consume alcohol um and have that be a, an issue of conflict with my husband um even though i'm not much of a drinker but over the years as i i think my i thought i think i saw my husband see the benefits the rich benefits that the army brought to me and to our children and so i thought that after 10 years after you know becoming an adherent I felt it was the right time and that coming out of the pandemic too. It's like the pandemic makes us also think about, wow, kind of have to live now and do things when you can, right? Because you don't know what's coming around the corner. So I thought that's, this is probably the right time, the right time to make that decision. And I became a soldier last June, 2022.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing about your faith and your ministry. Um, it's so neat to hear about what the Army is doing in Quebec. It's just wonderful to hear about, and uh, yeah, bless you in in all you do.
1: Thank you, and please pray for us because, like I, like I said, there's challenges in Quebec that I think are very unique to this province. As you know, yeah. social service as core as churches, and so um, uh, it's uh, prayer is always welcome. Thank you for this time, and thank you for for you know having me on on this uh, podcast.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Salvationist podcast. For more episodes, visit salvationist.ca slash podcast.